And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. 16 weeks. 16 weeks ago was Christmas Eve. I remember it uh, well because it was my first one here in this parish. Um, Do you remember what this room looked like that night? Do, Do you remember the center aisle lined with candles? Do you remember the Christmas greenery, the lights, the the sanctuary overflowing with poinsettias and and color? Do you remember the the giant Christmas wreath and garland that hung over our heads with all the lights? The room was filled to the brim with children dressed as sheep and angels, families gathering together for the first time in what maybe it seemed like forever. Or young couples celebrating their first Christmas Eve together. It seemed as though all the world, both inside the church and out, was on the verge of something beautiful and joyous. Every house adorned with lights and Christmas tree. Every, every single person greeting each other with Merry Christmas. No sporting events. No school. No work. All the world seemed to stop and marvel at something that was happening. And now here we are. We take a second to look around the room now. The, the pews, though there are many of you here, there, there are spots open. It's not filled to the brim. The, the altar has been stripped of all adornment. The greenery has been replaced by thorns and bristles. A room that had been teeming with life and energy and um, vigor now seems sterile and cold. And dark. And to make matters worse, the outside world just seems to go on as if nothing has happened. I mean, try walking up to someone today and, and telling them Merry Good Friday and see what kind of look you get. School is in. Sporting events are happening. The world outside continues on just as if it was any other Friday. I mean, does it not feel like we got here quickly? I mean, even, wasn't it five days ago that we met over at Knowles Chapel at Rollins and um, processed over reading psalms and shouting Hosanna and singing hymns as we celebrated the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem? Hosanna, all glory, laud, and honor. Only now to be faced with this. The liturgical whiplash of the last few weeks pales in comparison to how it must have felt 2,000 years ago when on Sunday the city of Jerusalem, like it had been prophesied so many years before, welcomed the new king of Israel into its arms, waving palm branches and putting their own cloaks on the ground as King Jesus rode into town. They hailed him as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And now five days later, He's hung upon a cross with a crude sign placed above his head, the king of the Jews, mocking his claim to be king. And this must have been the fastest fall from grace that any public figure has ever experienced, to be roundly heralded and then completely and utterly abandoned within the span of a week. The crucifixion of Jesus is not like a modern controversial execution where there are people protesting or where public opinion gets split down the middle on the proper way to mete out justice. The crucifixion of Jesus represents a unifying event. The people of Israel are completely unified in doing this. 
His followers have completely abandoned him. He is alone. It even says in, in the passage we read on Passion Sunday, it even said that Pilate and Herod, representing all of humanity, Jew and Gentile, Jerusalem and Rome, who had previously been enemies, became friends that day as they passed Jesus back and forth and sent him to his death. All the world has shaken hands as they meet to destroy this man. And this is where Good Friday must start for us. We have to start with and sit in the stark reality that you and I are implicated in that. That we are implicated in his death. That we are part of that crowd. Now I know you and your good Christian sensibilities um, would nod at this. It would be gauche and lack humility to say otherwise. But the truth is, if we're being honest, deep down, you and I think otherwise. I mean, you and I deep down think it wouldn't have been me. That we, um, we say, just as Peter had echoed in last night, that if all others had fallen away, I wouldn't. What you and I do very quickly is we, we quickly try to see past the cross. We try to see what's going on behind it. We want to know, why is this man dying? Before we ever sit and face the fact that he is actually dying right in front of us. I mean, we do this all the time with God. We try to delve into the mind of God, to peel back the curtain using our own reason and experience. We try to bring God down to our level about what makes sense. We are utterly unimpressed with the God who comes to us in His Word. A God who simply makes promises and keeps them. When God says in His Word that He has provided all that we need, And we need not look anywhere else other than to Him for whatever it is that we might need. We think, well, not not exactly everything. I mean, it's too simple, we think, to have a God who simply absolves us by His Word, who, who is too basic for God to simply forgive sins simply because He has the authority to do so and chooses to do it. This is too particular, it's too local, it's too fleshy. We don't want a a visceral God who's right in front of our eyes. We're we're like Kelly from The Office when she's confronted with Daryl's stark honesty and can't actually believe that someone is telling her exactly what they think. She says, who says exactly what they're thinking? I mean, what kind of game is that? No, we want a God who works according to universal Concepts. We want a God who clearly lays out the rules and invites us to follow them and promises us to re- promises to reward us if we do. And most of the time we want preachers who do that too. We want preachers to tell us about love and goodness and how to get our finances in order. We want preachers to tell us about everything that we're already doing is, is we're on the right track. After all, if God sends, uh, just sends a preacher to pronounce forgiveness, then what part do I play? What else is there for me to do? I mean, more than anything, we hate the idea that we might end up playing second fiddle in our own lives. And so we cling to our own quest for righteousness. We grab hold of our goodness and use it as a bargaining chip with God. We invent whole systems that seem to make sense of, to us about how God might relate to us. That, that God has us on a track towards righteousness and goodness and we are walking it. That God cares about the things that we care about and He rewards that which we reward and He curses that which we curse. But today is the day. 
Today is the day, it is the moment to come to realize that all of this is actually what Jesus died for. You may have heard growing up that Jesus died for your sins. And this is wonderfully true, but we do the cross a disservice if you think that that means Jesus died for all the bad things you've done in your life. That's simple enough and it makes sense. No one would say they're perfect. A nice big safety net of forgiveness to get me along my own as I'm on my track towards goodness and righteousness is helpful. You know, Jesus' death is like a, a, a savings account that when we, when we kind of, when we go over our limit, we can kind of dip into a little bit. But that's not what we're faced with today. Today's, today we are faced with um, our own utter bankruptcy. Today we are faced with the fact that it is not your bad deeds, most prominently, that cause you to kill this man. It was your goodness. It was your righteousness that led you to do this. It was all the ways in which you and I try to carve out in your story a role for us to play. To make sure that at the end of the day, you have something of your own that you can hold on to. And anything or anyone that gets in the way of that, that threatens that, threatens you. Make no mistake, this is the end. This is the end of all of your goodness, of all of your righteousness. This is actually where it all leads. This is the Garden of Eden on steroids when our first parents, Adam and Eve, saw in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a role that they could play. Remember, God had told them, you have all that you need. He gave them his word. I've given you everything that you need. And when they saw a path towards taking that which was reserved for God alone, they reached up and grabbed hold of the fruit that promised them that they could be God. That God hadn't given them all that they need. That God was holding out on them. That they could set the rules. That they could save themselves. But now, instead of reaching up and taking hold, reaching up into that tree and taking hold of fruit in order to become like God, We have taken God himself. We've taken hold of him. And we have nailed him to a tree. Come. Look at what you have done to this man. As Pilate says, behold the man, if you can. Look at his feet, the feet that had only recently been anointed with costly perfume. We have driven a spike through him. Look at his hands, the hands that had embraced children. The same hand that had written in the sand as he stood in the gap between a woman who was going to be stoned. The hands that had healed the lame and the withered. We have stretched them as far as they can go and we have bolted them to wood. Look at his head. The head that had always turned towards the sinner and the sufferer with compassion and mercy and grace. The head that had been adorned with God's spirit and his baptism. We have smashed briars and thorns into it as we mocked him as king. The one who had told us to turn the other cheek, we have beaten. The man who told us to take his yoke on our back for he is gentle and his burden is light. We have forced to carry his own cross. As we laughed at him. 
When he said he thirsted, we gave him vinegar. The word of God made flesh that we celebrated at Christmas. We have slaughtered as a blasphemer, one who speaks false words about God. The man who had proclaimed that he and the Father are one is now ridiculed and mocked as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The creature has killed its creator. The the cross, before we look too, too, too quickly past it to see what God's up to, there, there will be time to talk about that, but, but first, the cross is utter sacrilege. It's an abomination. It is every kind of malice and wickedness and evil that mankind can possibly imagine. And the worst part is that we did it thinking we were righteous in doing so. We thought we were doing good in killing him. We thought we were upholding the law. We killed God to please God. As I, as I close, you, you might be wanting some kind of resolution. You may even be yearning for something to get you off the hook a little bit. It might feel a little too um, in your face. You might find yourself even reacting to what I'm saying with a certain sense of offense. I mean, how dare you say that I did this? I'm actually at church on Good Friday. I'm, I'm one of the good ones. But I refuse, and Christ refuses to let you off the hook that easily. Because we might just need to sit with the fact that we are actually real sinners, even in our goodness, in our our quest for righteousness. We need to sit in the fact that God will be found nowhere else other than his word to you. And if you go looking for him somewhere else, or if you go looking for more of him, this is the result. You'll hate him. No, we need to be confronted by the cross in all of its ugliness if only so that we might finally meet our own end in it that that we might finally reach the end of our own quest for righteousness our own game that we play for God that we might finally reach the end of trying to hold on to what we can and we can simply let go that we might finally give up We must be confronted by the cross and only so that through it we might be saved from ourselves. Today on this Good Friday, I invite you to the foot of the cross to be confronted by it, to see the cost not only of your badness but of your goodness as well. And while you're there, while you're at the foot of the cross, I invite you to listen. Listen to what he says to a world that is so caught up in its own quest for righteousness and goodness that we we are even willing to kill God to get it. For his words echo down through time uh, to you today, to your life and your sin and your exhaustion and weariness in trying to be as good as you possibly can in hopes that God will smile upon you. To your own resentment, and even hatred of God for the ways that he didn't play by your rules or or give you the reward that you thought you deserved. Hear him today if you can. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Amen.